How many times do you think you led that song? How many? You can't even start to. You awake with my sleep and I can't do that. Oh, said I can wake him up in his sleep and he can sing that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's part of it now. Yeah. In the morning. <laughs> yes, sir. I love to praise his holy name. Why? Because he's my rock, my sword and shield. He's my will. Like Ezekiel said, in the middle of a will. You know he'll never, never let you down. <laughs> he's just a jewel that I have found. What'd you say? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, I love to praise name. Hallelujah, I love. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love to praise His holy. Oh, yes, sir. You ought to get you one. <laughs> get you one, you can wake up singing in the middle of the night. Yeah, everybody ought to have one. My Lord. That's a good one. <laughs> Say it again. Hearing his voice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing. You hear certain songs in the voice of certain people. That's amazing. That's amazing. It becomes associated with them. Yeah. Ain't that right? I love it. My Lord, it's so good to see you this morning. Uh, you know, I forgot to say something when I stood up here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. War Eagle, be Arthur Moore. War Eagle. War Eagle. That's for you. It's a good man. Everywhere he goes, he's a good man. Look, look. Auburn's honored him, Alabama A&M has honored him, 45th Street has honored him, the state of Alabama's honored him. Everybody can't tell the same lie. That's a good man. That's a good man. Yeah. As generous as he is kind. Just a good man, always supportive of everything. We just, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't stop saying thank you for who you are, because I know it hadn't been easy. I know that. I know it hadn't been easy. <laughs> I was just waiting on you to amen. I didn't say anything. <laughs> they say behind every good man, that's right, that's right. That's a good one. That's a good one. Alright, alright. It's a good one. We thank God for another opportunity to come in and to share with you today. And we've been driving through the Psalms. 
this month, making some stops along the way at various ones to see what blessings we can get from plumbing the depths of what the Lord gave that songwriter. And we find ourselves today stopping on 41st Street in the Psalms. And on Psalm 41st Street, there's some stories, there's some lessons here that we can, I think, be blessed with on how we deal with those who are not always kind to us. We talked about David and his sin and how he had to resolve those things. We talked about Asaph and going back to church and how he had to resolve that. And some of us have those similar testimonies after we've messed up. And the Lord had to uh, give us another opportunity. I had my own wilderness experience I told you about. Getting back into grace with the Lord is a blessing. And we talked about Psalm 4 and the blessing that comes with just having a good night's sleep. Thank you, Lord, for letting me be able to sleep at peace. Yeah. We talked about spiritual nearsightedness and how sometimes we just focus too much on what's right around us. There's a greater view down, down the road, if, if we'll pay attention to it. Today we want to look at a Psalm of David from 41, if you'll let me read it. Blessed are those who are, have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of affliction, illness. I said, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me for I have sinned against you. Sound like David, don't you? My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. Consp Everybody say conspiracy. They imagine the worst for me, saying, a vile disease has afflict, afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lives, where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I had trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Amen. That verse 11 is powerful. 
Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. I may have told you this before, but there was a reporter who was interviewing an old man. He was 100 years old. And he asked him what he was most proud of in his life out of those 100 years. And the man said, boastfully, I don't have a single enemy in the world. Not a single enemy. And the reporter said, what a beautiful thought. How inspirational that is to all of us. And the centenarian continued, yep, I outlived every one of them. You and I may not have the benefit <laughs> of outliving the folk who are not on our side. They may not. We may have to deal with them all our lives. Two things are certain, church. First of all, you will have enemies. And know this, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus and have claimed him as your Lord and Savior, there is a certain way the Lord wants you to deal with them. And we need to learn those ways. This is a messianic psalm, which means you can track it and see tones of the Messiah's journey in it. If you read it closely, you'll see parallels, like in verse 9, when he says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, betrayed me. You see shades of Judas in that part of it. Not only that, this psalm has to uh, teach us about those who seem to be against us. We have to learn how to do things from the Bible way. Yeah. And it tells us that even though people are evil to us and, be, and hurt, harm us, we still have a higher responsibility. That's the culmination of this psalm. But first it gets into some definitions for us. And I want you to walk along with me as we try to unpack what's included in it. Everything that's good for you doesn't taste good. All right? We're always looking for something that tastes good. Sometimes the best medicine has the most bitter taste. In fact, I don't remember any medicine that tastes good when I was growing up, to be honest with you. I know even the cherry-flavored stuff used to taste as Brittany said, like medicine, all of it. But now I understand the pharmacist can put flavoring in it and make it taste like bubble gum or whatever. That's dangerous, too. It's dangerous, too. You start getting too much of a taste, and then you want to take it too frequently, and it can end up harming you. Medicine has its purpose, and in the end, with all that the Bible is, it is medicine for our souls. We have to make sure that we read it and understand it and that the Lord, the Lord helps us to digest it the way we should. What do enemies do? I don't know what your enemies have been doing to you, but it can be an awful feeling when someone is mistreating you. When you feel like you're innocent and they are just coming against you for no other reason than because of who you are. David found himself chosen by God, rejected by men. What a tough spot to be in. 
to think I'm loved by the creator of everything and hated by everything he created. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't make you sleep good at night, but it sure will drive you to your pen and paper and make you write what you feel, and that's what happened with, with David. What do you do with your emotions when you feel them? Do you just bottle them up, or is there some constructive way you try to share them with other folk? Look, 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 David, thank God, shared how he was feeling with folk, and because of that, we learned two things. One, we learned that other people go through what I go through, all right? So I'm not alone in, in experiencing this, and think about this. This is thousands of years ago that David was going through the same emotional conflict I'm going through, and I'm just... I'm just foolish enough to believe that through the years, other people have experienced this. So this must be pretty common. No matter how alone I feel, I got to know that other folk have been in this space where I am before. And, and, and sadly, that is some consolation to me. Because who wants to be the only one going through something? And so David shows us that. And the, the second thing is, if you have the ability to do it, you ought to share what you go through with somebody. If you have the ability to do it. It can be cathartic. It can be helpful to other folk to show what you have been going through. And so I'm going to say this. I glory in all of the Bible devotions we've seen this week. They've been all really, really good. I'm amazed today at Alyssa sharing how she's been impacted during the time when, and, and the underlying stories, when her grandmama was dying. She changing everything about her young life at this point, and I'm even more amazed that Chandra's sharing this story about depression this week, and I want to celebrate her publicly for being courageous enough to write that, because I know and you know that Chandra's not the only one to deal with this issue. This is a universal issue. And we can tell you right now that David, too, was dealing with this same issue. Yeah, David was dealing with this issue. And so today, for just a little while, I won't, how many of y'all think David would always walk around saying, Lord, have mercy? I do. That's what I want to talk about today. Lord, have mercy on me. Just have mercy on me. And so what do enemies do? What do they do? First of all, they look forward to you falling. They wait on it. If they can do anything to push you toward the edge a little bit, then they'll do it. Some of them do it openly. Others will, as they say, throw a rock. And yeah, they can't wait to see you trip up. We all going to make some mistakes, but sometimes those mistakes are enlarged because of who's paying attention. In contrast, what do friends do? Maybe it helps you. Maybe you don't know if you got friends or enemies. Things can, things can uh, get kind of complicated. Some people have been riding along with their enemy for a long time and don't know it. Telling their enemy all their business. Taking their enemy into their confidence because some enemies are slick. Yeah, look, what good is it for them to want to undermine you if they don't know anything about you? So they got to get close to you in order to show you, in order to see what you're doing. Friends understand your weaknesses. 
They understand your weaknesses and they help you to recognize them and try to deal with them. You got somebody that's calling themselves your friend and they let you do things that are detrimental to you without ever stepping into that space, then you need to question how close you are to that person. They're not really your friend if they can't talk to you about that. And you don't consider them a friend if you don't let them talk to you about that. If every time they say something, it might be painful, but you know they're operating from a space of help, which is why you receive it from, from them. That, that's friend. Guess what? Not only that, your friends know your faults and they can deal with them. They can overlook them. They don't, they don't shut you down because of your faults. Your friends also are honest with you when it's needed. When it's needed. They don't say it to hurt. It might hurt, but their purpose is not to hurt. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Open rebuke is better than secret, secret love. Not only that, the last thing I want to tell you that a friend will do for you, they'll understand your weakness, they'll overlook your faults, they'll be honest with you when it's needed, and they'll restore you. They'll let you come back. They won't let you, they won't keep you out there in the distance at arm's length. They'll draw you back in. All right, but 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 enemies fake friendship because they're on a recognizance mission. Yeah, they're trying to find information on you. That's what enemies do. They get out. Being fake is simply the attempt to deceive. It's hypocrisy. That's why it's so painful. So so watch out for folk who aren't normally your friend, and then suddenly they are. That's why social media is so dangerous. Because, because social media does not allow you to get any depth in relationship. It's all surface. All right? And we draw folks into our business on the surface. You know how you do that? By putting all your business out there on the street. You tell them all the details of your life on the surface, and they can come to you like they know you, and they do know more than they should. Why? Because you told them. You told them, people, I always used to treat social media like I treat meeting folk in the mall. People don't go to the mall like they used to, but there's only so much I'm going to tell you when I meet you in the mall. You know, I'm like, what's up, man? How you doing? Everybody okay? Mom, dad, okay, good to see you, man. Take care. I'll see you next time. I'm not going to sit there and say, show them what I ate. <laughs> I'm not going to show them where I've been all day. We're not going to have that kind of conversation in the mall. And yet what I found in the social media context, we feed our people who are not for us the information that can lead to our own destruction. Because we do it. We think, we think social media is a safe space. Sometimes we don't do it all at once. Sometimes, I wonder, I'll ask you to do this. It's supposed to be fasting anyway this month on, if, if that's what you chose to do fasting this month. Go back and look at your social media posts in review. All right? Go back and review how much of you you revealed in your social media post and see how much somebody would learn from you 
just from reading the stuff you post on there and see if that's going to be helpful to you or that could be harmful to you because sometimes in little bitty posts you've told all your business they know where you've been all day what you've been doing you know the stories out there people say put all their business on the street I'm, I'm in the mall today been in the mall all day well the dude who live down the street who ain't trying to work been up in your house why because you told him you at the mall <laughs> ain't nobody there he's reading all your business or you know, people have gotten smart enough not to post the trip to Disney World till they come back from Disney World. All right, but you over there with the mouse, guess who in your house? All right? It's a rat. <laughs> it's a rat in your house while you hanging out with the mouse. And he eat more than cheese too, buddy. <laughs> You gotta stop telling your business like that. Yeah. Look, 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 some of the characteristics of people who don't like you. They flatter you all the time. Always flattering you. Always smiling. Alright? You know, the mask of the theater, the mask of the theater is just that. It's a mask. It's a mask. They're always asking questions of you. Like they're seeking information. And a lot of times those questions are of a personal nature. Like they, uh, you don't get it because it's always, girl, where you going? <laughs> what you doing today? Do, does he like you? It's, it's always as if, you know, because I'm just looking out for you, you know. Be careful when people are doing that. They're always trying to steer a conversation towards something that could be used against you, potentially. Just be careful how you deal with folk. And they are listening carefully, just as they did to Jesus Christ. So they can use something, call it against you. Look at this. Maybe you don't see, I told you, you got to look for the people in the scripture. You got to look for emotions and motives in the scripture. If you, if you read Luke 53 and 54, look at it from this standpoint. And he said these things unto them, this being Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak many things. In other words, they were bombarding him with questions. Master, master, master. Now, to somebody who does not have themselves in check, they think it's because they want to know all this stuff from Jesus Christ. But 54 said they were laying wait for him. All right? And laying wait is the same terminology they use when it comes to setting a trap for a small game. This is what they were doing in their question, and they were laying wait and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him of. It's Jesus now. So you know if they lay wait on Jesus. You know if the enemy can do that to him, they'll set me and you up as well. All right, look at this. Your enemy will also build up your ego. Yeah, always with that flattery. But the intent is to get you to a place where you'll fail. They'll build up your ego. They'll, they'll tell you how wonderful you are. And if you have a mind to hear that, you'll, it'll inflate you so much till you're teeter-tottering over the edge. You can't stand in that place. And all they want to do is, is harm you. Look, and they watched him, and they sent forth spies. This is Luke 20 and 20, 20, 22 through 23. And they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves 
good men, that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him unto the power and the authority of the governor. And they asked him, saying, Master, we know that thou sayest and teachest rightly, neither acceptest thou the person of any, but teachest the way of God truly. Is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar or no? Set up question. Set up question. But he, verse 23 says, but he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, look at this, why tempt you me? All right, because he was able to understand what was going on because he had discernment. Guess what? If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you have that same help that he had in the power of the Holy Spirit. He can help to reveal motives of people and let you know what's going on if you rely on him, if you'll let him. Paul also went through the same thing. All right, not only that, they find other folk to gossip with about you and it hurt you, and it hurt you. One man heard his mama one day passing along to his daddy some information she had overheard about a neighbor. You know, it shocked him, it was mama. Mama's in there gossiping. And he was, he was hardened. When his daddy said to his mama, you know, you shouldn't be passing on them stories about other folk. Maybe because he saw the child over there listening. You shouldn't be passing along those stories to other folk. And she looked at him and she said, I'm not a gossip. I'm a news analyst. <laughs> you can call it what you want. It's the same thing. When you're passing on unflattering information about people, that puts you in a very bad light. And look at how other generations are learning how you deal with people. Gossip is the most deadly microbe in our society because it doesn't have legs or wings. It's composed of just tails, and most of them have stingers in them. When you're talking about folks, we are the carriers of that disease, gossip. Not only do they go get other folk, they also lie on you, formulate falsehoods on you, according to verse 8 of this passage of Scripture. They lie on you, just flat out don't tell the truth. A vile disease has afflicted him, the writer wrote, a vile disease. When you live for Christ, it's harder for dirt to get into your life. When you're trying to live righteously, that's not to say you won't make mistakes, but it makes it harder for people to see your apparent issues. And that's why they have to come up with stuff and make up things. That's not to say you shouldn't live righteously, but you can expect that when you don't do anything wrong, like Daniel, they'll make what you do wrong. They'll turn that against you. And so you have to be mindful that people can be looking for your weaknesses. I just want you to be on guard that everybody doesn't mean good for you. Look, they'll take every mistake you make and amplify it to make it seem so much worse than it was. And when they can't find anything else, they start looking for weaknesses that we all have to exploit. Maybe you're failing that you're trying to get rid of and they'll exploit it. And they make every small mistake bigger. 
And then when they can't do any of that, they just invent a problem. And then they conspire to tell other folks about you. Abraham Lincoln was once being criticized because of his attitude toward enemies. And so all that Abraham Lincoln was, and he was a very complex man, we ought to be smart enough to know, we ought to be able to read what he did. You know, we, we put him on a pedestal on a lot of reasons, for a lot of reasons, some of those deserve, some not. He claimed Christianity, and he followed the tenets of Christianity, but he also wasn't trying to get rid of slavery. All right? That's just history. All right? He was trying to save the Union. <laughs> and if saving the Union meant getting rid of slavery, he'll get rid of slavery. If sla saving the Union meant keeping slavery, he'd have kept slavery. All right? Be mindful of these things. But this same Abraham Lincoln had a lot of life truths that he absolutely taught us. And one of them that he taught us was how he dealt with his enemies. And one of his, one of his cabinet members came to him and said, why do you try to make friends with your enemies? Ask him. He said, you should try to destroy them. And Abraham Lincoln said, am I not destroying my enemy when I make him my friend? purest form of recovering relationships to take someone who was against you and make them your friend. Genuinely make them your friend. And so we got to be aware of who those folk are who are not supportive of us. Okay? So how do we respond as a Christian? First thing we do is forgive people. This is hard. Because sometimes what they've done to us hurts so bad, puts us out there so bad, but you got to start with forgiveness. Forgiveness is simply this, unlocking the door that you had somebody locked in and realizing you were the one locked up. That's what forgiveness is. You give them that space. Give yourself that space. Forgive people, all right? I know, I know the truth of the matter is sometimes we want to forgive Cass, but we want to slap folk too. Am I the only one? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to forgive you. Damn. But that's not how God works. Because we create other problems when we do it that way. Forgiveness doesn't always require that the offending person ask to be forgiven. They don't have to come to you on bending knee, groveling, saying, I messed up. I ruined your life. They don't have to do all that thing and do that stuff. As a matter of fact, they don't have to know you've forgiven them. But in order for you to respond in the manner that the Bible tells us we have to deal with those who despitefully use us, who harm us, we have to forgive. Remember now, the standard set for forgiveness by Christ is so monumentally high, so high, that is something we will always be striving for, and yet forgiveness is what we have to do. There are no excuses in the body of Christ for not forgiving. And the reason why there aren't any, aren't any excuses is because we live by forgiveness in the body of Christ. How can we therefore live by what we would deny other people? 
We live by that. And so not only do we have to first forgive folks, we got to love people. We have to love them. And we have to love people with pure motives, not fake motives, not because we can get something out of it. A lot of times we lay stuff out because somebody's going to do something for us or it means something for us. There's a man walking down the beach one day and he found a magic lamp like on Aladdin. And he picked it up and cleaned it off and as he cleaned it off the genie popped out. Of course like on Aladdin he said because you freed me I'm going to grant you a wish. We know this don't happen for real but I'm going to grant you a, a, a wish. And the man thought for a moment, he said, what do you want? He said, my brother and I had a fight 30 years ago, and he hadn't spoken to me since. He said, I wish he'd finally, I wish he'd finally forgive me. And Jeannie said to him, it's done. It's done. Your wish has been granted. And then Jeannie said to him, now, most men, given the opportunity that I just gave you, would have asked for wealth or for fame, but you only wanted the love of your brother. All right? And he said, is that because you're old and perhaps don't have long to live? And he said, no, my brother's old, don't have long to live, and he's worth $60 million. <laughs> Wrong motives. Wrong motives. All right? Wrong motives. It was easier to ask a genie than to go ask his brother, than to go talk to his brother. Your motive ought to be better than just material wealth. Your motive ought to be for the love of someone. The greatest gift you can give anybody is love. At the end, at the end, all anybody can ever say is, he might not have left me anything, he might not have had anything um, to give me, but I know he loved me. And that's the greatest gift you can have. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians tells us the power of love. You go and read it in all of its forms and what it does and does not do. Not only do we forgive folk and we love them, we have to bless people. What does that mean? We use that term so much. But do we know what blessing means? Blessing means, if I bless you, that means I speak well of you. I speak well of you. Yeah. Blessing on you in your household. Blessing on you in your life. Yeah, find nice things to say about folk. Yeah, support them in their endeavors. Find the good characteristics that they have and, and support them in those ways. And, and, and if you do that, a couple of things will happen. First of all, you'll bring glory to God when you start blessing people like that out of your mouth. And then you'll confuse the enemy. When you start speaking good things over folk who don't like you, yeah, didn't the songwriter say it? Because I started singing, and I started shouting, and I started laughing. Confuse them. Praise will confuse the enemy. Not only that, it'll make you feel better. It'll make your heart feel better. And then it will induce, look at this, 1 Peter 3 and 9 says, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. In other words, if I don't repay evil for evil and I bless someone, then it causes God to bless me. 
So when I'm blessing my enemy, I'm also drawing in God's blessing on my own life. And so blessing your enemy has other benefits directly related to you as well. So we love them, we bless them, we forgive them, and then we do good. We do good for them. We do good for them. Do good for people that hate you. I know, I know you sit down, Reverend Spall. Who's going to do something to somebody that... I'm telling you, this is counterintuitive. You want the highway or the regular way? All right? You think, you think Michelle Obama came up with when we go high, they go low? I mean, when they go low, we go high? She didn't come up with that. That's a scriptural tenet. The Bible has been telling us we have to go high all the time. The Bible has been telling us we have to live that way the whole time. We have to do more and better than other folk. And the reason why you don't hear it talked about is because it's hard. It's easier to just get back at folk. It's easier to get down on folk. It's easier to ignore folk for 20 years. It's easier to do those things. And we don't serve a God who came here and did something for us because it was easy. He took the hard way to save us. The hard way. He died for us. He was crucified for us. And all he's asking us to do is be willing to take the hard way sometimes. Do good for people. Sometimes the easier way is right in front of you. It's easy. You got a crowd around you. They're cheering you on. You got to be willing not to do that. God expects us to live for the best and to do the best. When he blesses us, then you just leave the rest of it up to him. Instead of worrying about the crowd, be concerned about what the Lord thinks. Look at this, what Paul wrote to the church in his letter to Rome. He said, 12 and 20 and 21, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Think about this now. Rarely, if ever, does getting even with somebody ever really teach somebody a lesson. Rarely does it teach them the lesson when I got with them. Not only that, rarely does it make you feel good. If you want to teach someone a good lesson, love them through some mess. When we do good to those folk who hate us, you take the fuel from their hatred. Yeah, you, you, it's, it's like pouring cold water on their hatred. The act of dealing with your enemy by doing good requires some hard things, though, now. You won't, first of all, you've got to be patient. You've got to be genuinely humble. Humility is required. You've got to know how to pray. You got to know how to pray. Believe in the power of prayer. Scripture tells us about prayer that we have to pray for them who despitefully use us. These are folk that set you up. These are the folk who go out of their way sometimes, fam, to do wrong to you. You ought to be praying for them. Right? That's hard. That's hard, but look at the space you find yourself in when you have strength enough and courage enough to pray for folk who've been doing you wrong. It makes the other things in life seem rather 
easy when you start praying for folk who are praying for your downfall. They, they're planning for your downfall. There's almost a spirit of Christ-likeness. Remember, he was on the cross and praying for the folk who put him on the cross. Prayer is the key to your Christian life. It's also essential to the battle who have set themselves up as your enemy. But remember this now, your battle is unseen. They might be the instrument, but ultimately something going on behind the scenes that's pushing them to do what they're doing for you. Ephesians 6 and 12 tells us we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We get caught up in the flesh and blood. We get caught up in the here and now, but we're dealing with spirituality, spiritual realms, and we're dealing with principalities we don't understand. You have to engage a spiritual warfare with spiritual weapons, and that means prayer has got to be a part of what you use when dealing with folk who are not on your side. Prayer is your greatest weapon. Not your mouth, not your mind, not your wit, but your prayer life is going to strengthen you. Praying for your enemy takes grace and dignity. We can go through history and see folk. You couldn't have made it through the civil rights movement without prayer. Think about it right now. The reason why we seem to be so disconcerted with how we're dealing with issues is because there's no dignity in how we respond to it sometimes. Yeah, the folk who do stuff to us, we can be as ignorant as they are. And then you don't know who to support under those circumstances. The cause is right, but the way we do it is just kind of crazy sometimes because there's no dignity in it. Dignity has been thrown out the window. Right now in 2019, if somebody spit on you, you about to pull one back and spit on them too. That's how it is. There's no nonviolence training, and I'm not... I'm not the one here to tell you the, 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 how you teach folk to do that. All I'm telling you is what Scripture says. Scripture says that we have to be poised and dignified and, and, and not returning evil for evil. Praying for your enemies requires grace and patience and wisdom. And, and I can tell you right now, it's not easy. It's not easy, but I'll leave you with this one and let you know that God is still blessing folk. Back in the days, I'm talking about civil rights issues, back in the days when racial prejudice seemed to be a little bit more open than it is right now, and I'm not saying that it's, it's gone. Now, believe me, believe me, we still in Alabama. We still have issues in Alabama. We still need to be praying for our neighbors that haven't, haven't figured it out yet, that we, God created all of us. But there was a family that struggled through the cause of racism in a mighty way. One man had to be sent down south to be raised by his grandmother. And the reason why he had to be sent down south to be raised by his grandmother is because his mother and father had been killed by some white folk up north. And so he already came here with a whole lot in his mind and on his spirit. He was full. But one night he was at his grandmama's house. It was him and his grandmama and his brother. 
and some folk rolled up. They had on Klan outfits. And that feeling of dread hit him again. The men came up because there was an uproar in the community. They kicked the door in of the house that these folk were staying in. It was just a little shack out in the field, but it was their home. And they came in, and when they came in, they grabbed his older brother. And they snatched his older brother and dragged him into the yard, and they put ropes on his arms, tied the rope to a saddle, and they dragged that boy all over town. Dragged him to the city square to show the trophy they had just gotten. When they got through dragging him, they dragged him back out to his grandmama's house and threw him in the yard. The boy and his grandmama ran to him. He was bloody and he was dying. In fact, he died before they could get him in the house. One of the men in the white hood apologized. Hear me. Because they had picked the wrong boy. He apologized. They killed this boy. To make it worse, nobody was ever arrested. Not only were they not arrested angry, they weren't even prosecuted. Nobody even looked into the matter of the boy that was killed for nothing. The next morning, Grandmama got up and went to work. She worked at the white folks' house. She went in the kitchen as usual and she cut up some turnip greens. And then she went back to her house and got her folk, her grandbaby ready, so you got to get up and go to school. And he said, Grandma, when you cook that food for them grand folk today, you poison them. You get them back for what they did to my brother. Don't feed them folk today, Grandma. You got to get him back. He never forgot what his grandmama did. She just looked at him. She sent him on his way. She went back up to the house, and all that day she swept the floors, took care of their children, cooked all the meals for that day. She got home that night, and as usual, she was tired and worn out. And he said, Grandmama, did you do it? Did you poison them? Did you get rid of them like I asked you to do? And his grandmama, with those worn out eyes, looked at her grandson. And she said to him, baby, the Lord never told me to worry about what the white folk do. He told me to worry about what I do. The Bible says that we're to love our enemies and pray for folk that despitefully use us. It was that day that that boy understood that verse in an impactful way that would change his life forever. It's easy to forgive folk when all they do is tweet something out bad about you. When all they do is post something online 
talking about the clothes you got on. That's easy. What's hard is when they take something they can't give back, like your life or, or life or reputation. That's when scripture comes into play and you really have to double down. But when the goodness of Jesus Christ comes into your life, there's a difference in you and you know it. And if, church, you will use the power of the Holy Spirit, then he can give you all that you need in order to live a life that is contrary to the worldly standards. It's one of those lives that people don't understand how you live that way, but you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You don't just do the things that society demands of you. You have to do what Christ demands of you. He was willing to set the example of how far we should go. There's a certain way he wants us to treat our enemies. Look, the enemies are your enemies for a reason. Because they've been mean to you, ugly to you. But God is telling us how to react. Now I know it's a hard lesson to you, but all the lessons in the Bible aren't there to tickle you. Some of them are there to strengthen you and to guide you. And as you go through life, you're going to have to learn how to apply these principles. And my prayer is that you never come into a life-changing situation where someone has been bad to you like that. But in the event that it happens, you want to be armed with all that you need to deal with the circumstances. You can't have anything better in your life than a relationship with Jesus Christ. He can take care of you through any time, through any circumstance. And I came to invite you right now today, if you don't have him on board, if you don't have him in your life, then today is the day. Now is the time. Don't leave without putting Jesus in your life. Look, not only does he work going future, he works in reverse as well. If somebody's already been offered to you, if they've already put something in your life that you've been dragging with you for the rest, for, for all these days, then today is the day to start forgiveness. Today is the day to get that anchor out of your life and start moving forward. But it all starts with you accepting his invitation to a righteous living. He died for us so that we could have a right to eternal life. If you didn't know that before today, I'm glad to be the witness to tell you that it happened. While the choir stands to sing a song for us, those of you who've never accepted Christ, I extend that invitation to you. I'll baptize you and bring you to the family of Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you've been looking for somewhere to learn how to strengthen your walk and your witness, then I suggest that you try. We'll teach you the right way, teach you what we know, and we'll love you all along the way. The doors of our church are wide open.